Beautiful day. So glad to be here. Isn't it wonderful to be together as a family and so many exciting things happening in our church. Lots of coming and going and uh, movement. I want to just share a couple other things that you would want to know about and pray about. Today, Pastor Eric and Pastor Guy are flying to Rwanda and they're going to be teaching over there. They're hosting a conference for pastors from all over Rwanda and they're going to teach on the theme of how to build a healthy church. And so please pray for those two pastors. They're also going with a, a, a partnership church in Seattle, uh, Pastor Darren. And so we're, we're excited for them. We're praying for them. An amazing thing. They'll be back in a couple weeks to tell us the stories about that. And um, tonight at our 530 service is the first of several services out on the lawn. So in July, we, yeah, it's a cool thing. In July, we go out on the lawn and it's sort of like picnic style worship out there. And that's four, four weeks in a row, weather permitting, rain would be a problem and 95, 98 degrees would be a problem. But in, anywhere in the middle is good. We're out there singing, picnicking, worshiping. And what we say to the morning crew is we would encourage you at least one time to come to one of those and experience it. It's an awesome time. Same worship, same sermon, just outside. An amazing feel thing. And that will culminate in a baptism service on August 6th, which we'll invite you all to come to. We're going to baptize folks in our church, which is an amazing thing. And if you've not been baptized and you know you need to get baptized, you can come talk to me or one of the pastors about that. And then, of course, VBS starts tomorrow, 320 kids in here. Tomorrow, I'll be in here with those 320 kids, teaching them. So will you please pray for me? Thank you. I'll take it. Kathleen, I bumped into Kathleen this week, and she handed me this big packet, and I had this look on my face of, like, you know... I was worried. And she, and she said, Adam, don't worry about, the, you can do this in your sleep. You know, you preach every Sunday in front of a big crowd of people. And as she walked away, I thought to myself, Kathleen, you have no idea how frightened I actually am to teach 320 kids. You know how hard it is to teach 320 kids? They're always raising their hands and asking questions like, where do babies come from? Stuff that has nothing to do, you know, with what we're talking about. So pray for me. I'd appreciate it. And it'd be a good thing. And uh, right now, get your Bible out. We're going to get into the Word. I'm super excited today because we're starting a new series in our church of teachings. We finished the book of Colossians last Sunday. Today is a new day and a new series. If you got your Bible, um, open it up to the book of Hebrews. We're going to be there and then we're going to be elsewhere in the scriptures. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Ushers are already out there. I want you to have the written word in front of you. Hey, if you've been around River West at all, you know that we hold the word of God in very high regard. Have you noticed that? Isn't that a great thing? We hold the word of God in very high regard. That's why every time we gather in here, it's like clockwork. You're going to hear a pastor say, pull out your Bible and let's get ready to roll. Okay. That's why we encourage you to bring your Bibles with you to church. If you own a Bible, start bringing that so you can write in it. That's why in our church, most of the time, we teach expositionally through the scriptures, 
It's a big Bible word, I realize, expositionally. You say, expo what? What are you talking about? All that means is most of the time at our church, we pick a book of the Bible and we lay that book open and we teach through that passage by passage or chapter by chapter, opening up God's word as he's laid it out for us, like we did in the book of Colossians. But sometimes we get to a point in the life of our church where there's a biblical theme that seems so important or, or maybe seems to us to be so timely for our church that we'll take time to pick a theme and do something of a series that's more thematic in nature. And that's the kind of series that we've come to this morning. And we've come to a theme this morning in the life of our church that we want to present to you that warrants its own series of teachings from Scripture. The biblical theme of holiness teaches us that God is so beautiful and so pure and so one of a kind that if there is one place in the entire universe that we want to be, it's in his presence. Amen? I think that warrants an amen, right? Will you just take that sentence for just a minute? Let that sit with you. Let that soak. I'm going to say it again. Holiness tells us that God is so beautiful and so pure and so absolutely one of a kind, that if there's one place in the entire universe that you want to be, it's in his presence. It's like you want to be as close to God as you can possibly be. He's so amazing. Amazing, amazing theme. Holiness. It's kind of a big word, isn't it? The word holiness, maybe it's a little bit, sounds a little churchy to some people. Maybe it sounds a little intimidating Big Bible word. If you're new to church and if you're visiting, we welcome you. Maybe you hear the word holiness and you're like, I'm not even sure I know what that word means. It sounds a little big, sounds intimidating. For some people, maybe they hear that word and they, it kind of sounds a little holier than thou or it sort of sounds imposing in some way. So maybe we got a little work to do if we're gonna do a, a series of teachings on holiness. Or maybe you have grown up in the church and you've heard lots of sermons about holiness and you're even kind of surprised by the way I just defined it. You know, maybe you were expecting me to say something pretty different from what I said, right? Maybe you were expecting something more like this. Holiness means that God is so transcendent and so majestic, and so totally set apart in his moral purity that you cannot be in his presence because of your sin and your impurity. And maybe you were expecting me to say that, right? You don't have to raise your hand, but was anyone expecting me to say something more like that? You know, maybe you've heard sermons about holiness and it sounded, it freaked you out when you heard about the holiness of God. You grew up in the church and the, here's, and maybe you're wondering, well, okay, of those two sentences, which one is true? Because they sound really different. And actually the two sentences almost seem like 
I said the opposite thing. Which one of those is true? Well, they're both kind of true. They're both kind of true, you know? Is God transcendent? Absolutely. But when I say that word, you go, I'm not sure I know what that means. But if I were to say, is God, is God totally unique? You would say, yeah, God's so unique. If I said, is God majestic? You'd say, well, yeah, but I'm not sure I know what that means. But if I said, is God beautiful? You'd say, yeah, God's beautiful. I want to gaze upon God, right? If I said, God is set apart in his moral purity, is that true? Absolutely. But if I were to say, is God totally pure, like the purest glass of water you've ever seen? Suddenly you go, yeah. It's like, I want that. I want purity. I want to be around that. So we've got a little bit of work to do if we're going to talk about holiness in our church, right? The other thing that I want to say about holiness is, The problem with the second definition that I use, God is set apart. We can't be in his presence because of our sin. The problem with that is when we define God like that, you know what we're doing? We're defining God first and foremost from the standpoint of humanity. Think about this. We're starting with a standpoint of sinful people and then we're trying to describe God. And anytime we define God or think about God from our standpoint first, it's like we're getting the order turned around, right? Isn't that interesting? We're, 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 we're starting from the wrong direction. God, did you know this? God was holy way before sin entered the picture. You know that? He was holy. So when the Bible describes God as holy, It doesn't start out by saying everything that God is against. It actually starts out by talking about how beautiful God is, how glorious God is, how attractive God is, how relational God is. That's what holiness means, pure and beautiful and totally unique. Have you ever been around anything like that? Don't you just want to get closer and closer closer. It just draws you in. That's what the holiness of God does. You know, I'll never forget the first time that I saw Crater Lake. Okay. Raise your hand if you've ever been to Crater Lake. No, good. This is good. Okay. Many of you, because we're Oregonians, right? So we go to places in Oregon. Okay. I was raised in Oregon. And the first time I went to Crater Lake was when I was 30 Nine. It took me 39 years to go. Most of you are thinking, you're 39. Okay, I'm 39. Get over it. But after that, it took me 39 years as an Oregonian to go to Crater Lake. Isn't it true? People would scold me. They're like, how have you never been to Crater Lake? That's like having your backyard against, you know, like the Grand Canyon and never walking out and actually looking at it, right? And I think what happens as Oregonians is by the time winter's over, we're, we have so much post-traumatic stress from the rain that we, we fly places. We go to Hawaii. Like, why? Right? So finally, my wife and I went to Crater Lake. Went to Crater Lake. And I don't know if you know this, but it's actually kind of hard to get to Crater Lake. It's hard to get there. You have to really be committed to getting there. It's way down in southern Oregon somewhere. And it's pretty high up. Crater Lake is up on a mountain, Okay. It's about 6,000 feet up. You have to drive up this winding road to get up there. 
It's, it's, a, it's a lake. It's actually not a crater. Did you know this? That's a misnomer. Crater Lake is a caldera, okay, which basically means it's a volcano that erupted and then collapsed, and then snow fills that hole 2,000 foot deep. It's the deepest lake in North America. And snow melts and fills that, so it's the most beautiful, pure, amazing lake in the, in the whole continental United States. And you, um, you have to drive up this road. And so my wife and I are driving up there, and we went in mid-July, and the snow was just starting to melt. So it was hard to get up there. And not only was it hard to get up there, but as we're driving, you know, when snow melts, that's right about the time that all the mosquitoes hatch. Did you know this? I did not know this, or I would have gone in August. So we're driving up there, and I'm, we're driving, and suddenly I'm seeing all of this looks like debris or dust in the air. And then I turned to Kathy, and I was like, baby, those are mosquitoes. And they're big. They're like hawks. Those look like, like birds, and they're hungry, okay? So we're driving up. I'm nervous. They, they, it's super crowded, so they route us downhill, back down into this parking lot. So we get out of our car. We have to walk up this steep hill. We're fighting mosquitoes. We're walking. We got our girls with us. And finally, we get up to this snowy hill, and we slip up this hill, and we get to the top, and we look out onto the lake, and I had one of those involuntary moments where literally my jaw dropped, and my head, my hands went to my head, and I looked at the lake, and I thought, I cannot believe how beautiful that is. Am I overstating it just a little bit? Okay, you've been, thank you. And I, you know what happened? I turned, and I looked at my wife, and she was like this, And we looked at each other and we were like, why have we waited 39 years to see this? It was so beautiful. It was so amazing. Now, take that and multiply it by a trillion and then you're a trillionth of the way to starting to imagine how beautiful and amazing and pure and totally unique God is. Amen? Do you wanna see the holiness of God in your life? I do. Can I tell you how the writer of Hebrews talks about it? Will you look at Hebrews chapter 12 with me? This is sort of gonna be a bit of a theme verse for our sermon series. May even come back to it a couple times. Hebrews 12, verse 14, but I wanna read into that. So I'm gonna start at verse 12. Here's what he says. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. We just hover for a minute over verse 14 seems like a really important verse to me. He says, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. That seems like the kind of verse that a Christian would want to underline in their Bible and say, 
I want to make sure I understand that verse. That seems pretty important because I want to see the Lord. And you're probably thinking, I want to see the Lord. I want to be in God's presence, right? And the writer of Hebrews seems to be saying, this, Christian, this is so, so important. This is being in God's presence, seeing the Lord. By the way, that's code, seeing the Lord. That's code for being in God's presence. Seeing the Lord, is, it's, it's, it's a way of describing everlasting life. To see the Lord means to be so close to him that you actually can lay eyes on God. Can you imagine that? And the writer of Hebrews says, this is the most important place in the universe to be. You want to be there. You want to be there. And you want to, in fact, you want to be there so badly that no amount of energy that you have to expend to get there would be lost. It would be so worth it. And that's why he uses all these effort type of words. You probably noticed all these words about striving and fighting and walking. And he, he uses words like lift in verse 12. Lift your drooping, what does he say? Hands. You're supposed to help me when I can't find my place in the Bible. You should say hands, okay? All right. Make straight paths for your feet, right? Strengthen. Lift, we're lifting, we're strengthening, we're making straight paths. And then verse 12, which is the, the beautiful, or verse 14, the most important verse, he says, strive. You have to strive for this. It's a really powerful verb. Some translations have the word pursue, okay? You might have that word in your Bible, the word pursue, but ESV chooses the word strive because pursuing is almost too soft. The Greek word is is saying it's like, it's almost like you're sweating and you're expending energy and you're struggling and you'll do anything to get there to be in God's presence. I called this series The Pursuit. Did you notice that? The only reason for that is because the strive sounds really weird. So I went with The Pursuit, right? But it's the same basic concept. This is a pursuit, right? Have you ever noticed that you only really strive for something that you really want in your life. Think about that. What do you strive for? Do you ever strive for stuff that's not important to you? I don't. I only strive for the stuff that I really want. My teenage daughters remind me of this every day. Okay. Teenagers, have you ever noticed this? They never strive for something unless they want it, right? If I come to the girls and it's morning and, they're, and I have a day of yard work ahead of them and I'm like, okay, girls, let's get up, get out of bed. They're like, oh, dad, we're so tired. I don't, I'm too tired to get out of bed, you know? But if it's a day where they're gonna be around high school boys, you know, alarms are going off at four in the morning and oh, we're up and they're getting ready and they're hustling around the house. I'm like, wow, what's happening? These are different human beings, right? You only strive for stuff that you really want. And the writer of Hebrews seems to be saying, I don't think there's anything in this universe that we want more than to be in God's presence. Amen? Do you want to be there? You want to be there? But you know what's interesting? This verse also introduces us to a little bit of a problem. There's a problem in this verse 
Because he says, strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So the writer of Hebrews, actually what he's saying is, we're not, we are striving to see the Lord, but specifically what we're striving for is a form of personal holiness without which I won't see the Lord. And that seems really important to me. That seems like I want to underline that and figure out, well, what does that mean? Because apparently the writer of Hebrews is saying, your holiness, your personal holiness is actually essential in order for you to see the Lord. It really matters. Jesus said, Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Apparently, holiness is essential. My holiness. It matters whether or not you and I are striving after holiness. And so what we're going to do in our series, we're calling it The Pursuit, and what we're going to do together is we're going to just spend some time, a few weeks together, and we're going to ask the question, why does holiness matter? And what does it look like in your life, brother or sister in Christ, what does it look like to pursue the holiness without which you won't see the Lord? What does it look like for me to pursue that? How do we do it? We're gonna get really practical in this series. We're gonna talk about day-to-day practices that ought to be a part of your life. We're gonna look at different passages in scripture. I feel like this series is gonna really help you. It's really gonna help you. Because maybe you're even sitting there and you're asking the question, is this the number one pursuit of my life right now? The pursuit of holiness? The writer of Hebrews seems to say, like literally that is the most important thing that you could be pursuing in your time here on earth is holiness, all right? Seems important. One of the things we're gonna learn in our series together is that when the Bible talks about holiness, it talks about it in different kinds of ways. Sometimes you'll come to a verse like Hebrews 12, 14, and the Bible will say, seek after holiness, and you need to grow in holiness. And then sometimes you'll come to other verses where the Bible seems to say, you've been made holy, and God's already declared you holy and righteous, right? Remember in Colossians, our series in Colossians, we got to chapter three, verse 12, and Paul describes Christians, and he says, you know what Christians are? They are, they are chosen ones, holy and beloved. Paul says, you know what you are? You're, you're holy in God's sight. And you go, I love that. I don't feel holy in me, but I love the fact that God calls me holy in Christ. But then you flip a couple pages later to Hebrews chapter 12 and suddenly Hebrews is saying, well, yeah, but actually you have to pursue holiness. You are holy and you have to go on a quest for holiness. And that can be confusing because we would, we would wanna say, well, which one is it? And the Bible seems to say it's both. It's something that God has started in you. He's declared you to be holy. And it's something that needs to be happening in your Christian life, you need to be growing into that holiness. Theologians will say there's kind of two parts to holiness. There's like your positional 
holiness. You're declared holy. And then there's this progressive part to your holiness where you go on this journey of pursuing holiness. And that journey requires your effort and your energy and your striving, right? It's really interesting. So then the Christian goes, am I, am I on that journey? Am I striving in that kind of a way? So we want to talk about this. It's a very important theme. And this morning, what I'm going to do is I'm going to lay out some groundwork for us in our series. I'm going to, I'm going to lay out a bit of a, of a definition of holiness for you. I think one of the problems that we have when we start talking about holiness is we don't even know what we're really talking about. And so what I've done is I've, I've tried to come to a definition of your pursuit of holiness. What does holiness look like for you? And I want to break this down into the simplest, most like carved down definition that I can possibly come up with so that it's helpful for you, right? We know what the holiness of God is. It means God is beautiful and pure and we want to be near him. So then what does is, what is my personal holiness mean? What's the definition? Here it is, three words. Write this down, okay? This is important. We're gonna use this, three words. And the words are this. Your holiness means moving towards God. Moving towards God. God is holy. He's beautiful. There's nowhere else I'd rather be. What does holiness mean for me? It means moving towards that, moving towards God. Maybe that's a little too simple, right? Maybe that's a little too simplistic. There's probably a lot more we can say about holiness. We will, but I like this. This is a good starting point because it's simple. I can wrap my hands around this. I can ask the question, am I moving towards God in my life or not? River West can I suggest something to you? If right now in your life, if you're moving towards God, I can almost guarantee you, you're growing in holiness. You're pursuing holiness. But if you're not moving towards God right now, if you're actually going in the other direction, I can almost guarantee you that you're not growing in holiness, right? Does that make sense? Isn't that interesting? It's it's holiness is more about the direction that you're going than it is about the place where you are. It's a movement thing. Holiness is about where am I headed? I'm, it's one or the other. I'm either moving towards God in my life or I'm moving away from God in my life. And I don't want to be moving away from God. Because being in God's presence is the place I most want to be. You know, marriage, if this, marriage is a great way to think about this. I've often said to married people, in marriage, you're either moving towards each other in greater love and intimacy, or you're moving away from each other. There doesn't seem to be sort of an in-between, just a flat line. A flatlined marriage, you know what flatline means in the hospital? It means dead, <laughs> okay? So flatline is not good. You either are moving closer to one another, or you're moving apart. And the same is true with God. Same is true with God. So how about you? 
which direction are you going right now in your life? I want to share with you today one of the most amazing pictures of the holiness of God in the entire Bible. Will you turn in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 6? And we're going to lay a foundation for our series together. To do it, we're going to go to Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6 is a famous passage. If you've been around the church, you've studied this passage, you've read this passage, you've had sermons about this passage. It's in Isaiah 6 that Isaiah finds himself deep into the presence of the holiness of God. He's he's given a, a window behind the curtain into the presence of God. Of the Lord. And, and what happens to him because of that proximity to God is that his life is completely turned upside down. Right? We read it with me, Isaiah chapter 6, starting in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah 6 is about the holiness of God. Isaiah is given a vision of the full picture of God's holiness. It's amazing. It's powerful. And the reason why I'm sharing this passage with you is if we're going to talk about the pursuit of God, if we're going to talk about the pursuit of holiness, we have to start in the right place. Where we start matters. And Isaiah shows us where we have to start. We have to start with God himself, right? The pursuit of holiness actually does not start with you. It starts with God. God pursues first. And then he invites you onto a journey of your own pursuing. And so what I love about this passage is that it shows us three absolutely essential things that God does to allow us to pursue holiness. They're really simple. I want to share these with you, and I'll have you take them with you today. God does three things in this passage for Isaiah. Here's the first thing that God does. God invites Isaiah into his presence. He invites him in. Okay? You read the passage, and you wonder, how is it that Isaiah even got into a situation like this where he's in the throne room of heaven and he's seeing such an amazing vision of God's glory. How did Isaiah get there in the first place? Many scholars assume that he was worshiping in the temple. 
And maybe that Isaiah was fasting. You'll read commentary after commentary and they'll say he must have been fasting. He must have been seeking God. And, and we assume Isaiah did a bunch of things to warrant being in God's presence. But the problem is that the text doesn't say any of that. It doesn't tell us what Isaiah was doing at all. He could have been doing something totally mundane. He could have been washing his laundry, you know. And suddenly he finds himself having this vision of God's presence. And, and what that tells me is there's one reason and one reason only that Isaiah found himself in this vision. And it's because God invited him there. God invited Isaiah into his presence because God wanted Isaiah to be there. And you know what, River West? God wants you to be in his presence. He wants you to be there. Do you believe that? God wants you to be close to him. He's inviting you into his presence today. He's inviting you. I've thought a lot about why do Christian people struggle with the pursuit of holiness? Why do we struggle with sin in our lives? Why is that such a hard thing to, to work on, to accomplish? I think there's lots of reasons for why we struggle with sin. I think for, for some of us, the reason we struggle with sin is because we, we want to sin, you know? For some of us, we, we struggle with the pursuit of holiness and getting close to God because maybe we don't want to be close to God for some reason. And we'd rather pursue other things. And I think for some of us, the reason that we struggle with the pursuit of being in God's presence is because we're working with a vision of God that's not really all that helpful or accurate, you know? If you think God is, is mean, or if you think God is always angry, or if you have a vision of God that he's always vindictive, he's ready to strike, he's ready to pounce, he's ready to punish, who would want to be in the presence of, of a father like that, right? So if your view of God is a is a, a God who's intimidating and scary, you wouldn't want to be in his presence. The most intimidating guy that I have ever seen in my entire life, I saw in Portland at the food carts one day. <laughs> I was sitting there in the food carts with my family. I look over and there's this guy. And this guy was the meanest baddest looking dude I've ever seen, all right? He was like covered in tats, right? But the gnarly kind, you know, the kind where it has like mom, but then she's crossed out and stuff like that. Just like gnarly. He was dressed in leather. The guy had clearly, he worked out for a living. That was like his professional job. When your neck is as wide as your waist, it's time to take a day off. By the way, this guy was big. He was mean. I was sitting there and I was like, don't make eye contact with him. Don't make eye contact with him. He'll hurt you. When so we're sitting there, we're eating. And suddenly I hear over to my right, I hear daddy, daddy. And I look over and there's this three-year-old, like precious little girl with the pigtails, you know, bing. and she goes running towards this guy. And I'm like, no, don't do this. You know, and I figure out this is her dad, right? And what do you think happened when she got near her dad? Did she stop and go, dad, can I enter your presence? <laughs> you know, was she frightened to be there? No, 
this girl ran and she did a cannonball into her dad. I was like, she's gonna die. This is her end. She did a cannonball. She like, later I watched, she had him in a headlock. You know, she was giving him noogies. He was loving on her. It was like, it was amazing. And it reminded me, he's, he's your father. Is he big? Is he powerful? Is he intimidating? Is he strong? Absolutely. But he's also your father. He's your father. I thought about today having one of my daughters run up and like jump into my arms, but you can see where that illustration breaks down a little bit. <laughs> it breaks down real fast, okay? But it's the same thing. He's your father, and where, where's the place you most wanna be? You just wanna, oh, and you know what God's doing to Isaiah? He's saying yes, and he invites Isaiah right into his presence. That's the first thing he does. But here's the second thing he does, very important. See, God allows Isaiah to experience the full reality of his holiness. He invites him in there and that's beautiful and and gracious and good. But then God does something else. God says, now I'm gonna let you experience the full reality of my glory and my holiness. And it's a full body experience for Isaiah, okay? Every single one of his senses get involved in this, right? What he sees, did you know this? In this passage, every one of Isaiah's senses are involved. He sees stuff, he hears stuff, he feels stuff, he smells things, he tastes things. You notice what he saw? In verse one, he sees the Lord high and lifted up on a throne, the train of his robe filling the temple with his glory. The biggest wide angle lens on the planet could not take it all in. Isaiah sees it. And it had to have been unbelievably overwhelming. Can you imagine seeing that? The train of this massive robe, God high and lifted up. Isaiah saw seraph, these angels. Did you see that in verse two? These attendants, they're, they're hovering in the presence of God. That word seraph in the Bible, you know what it means? It means a burning one, which means what Isaiah saw were these living flames that are just floating, but they had the image of an angel. They were on fire and they're hovering around God. And Isaiah saw that. And isn't it interesting? Each of the seraph had six wings. What were they covering? They're covering their eyes. So many people say they were covering their eyes because they're not holy. But the problem with that is that angels are sinless. So even sinless, morally pure beings have to cover their eyes in the presence of the splendor of God. Amazing. And Isaiah got to see this. Can you imagine? Did you see what he heard? He heard a worship service. One of those seraph, verse three, called to another. And I I thought about that this week and I wonder, he called to another and I thought, I wonder how loud that was. I bet that was deafening. Just one angel calling to another and they sing this song, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, holy. 
It's not just mere repetition. That's emphasis. It's like, he's not just holy. He's holy, holy, holy. That's how holy God is. In the Bible, anytime there's three things, it's a, it's a symbol of perfection. God is absolutely perfect in his holiness. There's also probably a hint of the Trinity in there. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. This is the picture of God. This is what Isaiah hears. Isaiah felt stuff. Do you see in verse four what happened to the thresholds there? When that song rang out, it was so loud that the temple, the posts, the beams, the thresholds begin to rattle. And Isaiah was trembling. And smoke, not only did it fill the temple, but it filled his nostrils. He smelled it. He tasted it. It overwhelmed him. Everything about this experience took Isaiah to a different place. All of his senses were involved. He was finally allowed to experience the full reality of the holiness of God. And you know what it did to Isaiah? It split him open. It split him open. Because when you experience the holiness of God, you will, you will become undone in a good way, right? In a good way. He falls on his knees. Verse five, he says, woe is me. I'm a man who's lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Brother, sister, do you know how you can know if you've experienced the full reality of the holiness of God? You'll want to fall on your knees. Prostrate, not prostate, but prostrate, okay? Which basically means you come undone. You fall down. And maybe for the first time, you realize, oh my gosh, I am so unclean. I've talked to people in the church who are like, I don't, really, I don't really think of myself as being all that sinful, you know? And I typically think, I don't say this, maybe I should, but I typically think, I don't think you've encountered the holiness of God then. Because if you encounter the holiness of God, you know what's gonna happen for the first time, you're actually gonna see yourself for who you really are. And who I really am is is desperately sinful in the presence of a holy God. See, if we're going to pursue holiness, we have to, get this, we have to start at the right place. And the right place for this pursuit, you have to start on your knees before God, totally aware of your own sin, no longer comparing yourself to anyone else. The standard was God. Isaiah didn't say, oh my gosh, I'm so much better than my neighbor. What a loser, right? Isaiah was like, I'm unclean and they're unclean. We're all unclean. I'm unclean. And he fell to his knees. You have to start there. But thankfully, that's not where God leaves Isaiah. Because finally, here's the third thing that God does. He goes out of his way to cleanse Isaiah of his sin. God invites Isaiah into his presence. God reveals to Isaiah the full splendor of his holiness. Isaiah becomes undone. And then what does God do? He goes out of his way to heal Isaiah, to clean him, to take away his sins. Did you see that? We look again at verses six and seven. I'm gonna read these. They're important. 
Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs. Did you notice that? With tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth. And he said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. And this week when I read that, I, what caught me, what I'd not seen was the tongs. It's so interesting. The, the, the seraphim goes to the altar in front of God and he takes a burning coal, but a seraph is a burning one. So he, he didn't need tongs because the coal was on fire. He's on fire in holiness. So why the tongs? And I, I studied and I read and I prayed and, and it dawned on me, the reason he picked up tongs is because this coal comes from the most holy place in God's presence. It comes from the altar. The coal comes from a place of atonement and sacrifice and forgiveness The tongs represent drawing our attention to something that's so important in the story of Scripture, so holy, emanating from the heart of God, that that we're supposed to pay attention to it because the coal is a symbol of Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate expression of the holiness of God the holy love of God, the holy mercy of God. Jesus went to the altar. He went to the cross. Do you see River West? The coal represents the finished work of Christ on the cross in your place for your sin. It is the most beautiful, loving, merciful, holy thing that God could do is send his son Christ. And the reason that the coal has the power to touch Isaiah's lips and take away his guilt and cleanse him of his sin is not because it was a coal. It's because it was a symbol of the gospel that would come, the amazing work of Christ to pay for our sins. The coal is holy and beautiful because it is the way that we're able to come into the presence of a holy God. Jesus died for your sins and he died for my sins. And then God invites and he says, come into my presence. I paid. I want you to see the full reality of my holiness. And then I want to give you a gift of holiness that is only possible through the death of Christ on a cross in your place. It's the beauty of the gospel. And this morning, we're not just going to talk about this. We need to worship into this. Okay. This was a worship service. And so this morning we're going to worship and we're going to sing a song that is based on this passage. And here's my prayer for you today. My my prayer has been that as you enter God's presence, that you'll realize what a privilege it is to be here in Christ. It's a privilege to stand before God. He's holy. Jesus paid for our sins and he invites us 
Come into God's presence. So as you're singing today, can I encourage you to ask a couple of questions about your life? One question would be, have I received the love and the grace of Christ in my life? You know, maybe you come in today and you're realizing, I have not been on a journey towards God. I've been going a different direction. Do you know that when, when, when God, when you encounter God in that place, do you know what God, God says to you in that moment? He says, I love you. And I'm, I want to forgive your sins and I want to invite you into my presence. But you have to come through Christ. You have to put your faith in Jesus. And so today, maybe today is the day as you worship that you finally put your hope in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and enter boldly before the throne room of God. Enter into his presence and worship him. I hope that happens for you. I'm gonna pray about that right now. So will you bow your heads with me and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, what a vision that you allowed Isaiah to experience. You invited him in there. And you not only invite Isaiah, you invite us. Yes, it's a journey into the Holy of Holies. And it's a journey where perhaps in part today, like a dimly lit glass, we'll see your holiness. But one day, God, we will see you in all of your full splendor through Christ. And we want to pursue that, Lord. We want to strive for that in our lives. And so we pray you teach us, what does the pursuit of holiness look like, Lord? May it begin this morning in our worship as we stand before you and sing your praises. Thank you for that, Lord. I pray for those who have come and they're, on a, and they're still figuring out where they're at with you, Lord. May this be a day where they feel your love and your grace full extent of your sacrifice, Jesus. If you're not a Christian and you're feeling led to put your hope in Christ, you just pray this morning as you sing. Believe upon the name of Jesus. Confess your sins in your heart. Call out to Christ. Turn your life over to him and you're becoming a Christian. It's a beautiful thing. We love you, Lord. We pray these things together in your precious son's name. Amen.